Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. Okay. I'm recording. Welcome. Welcome back. It's a nice rainy day here in North Carolina, and I came home and decided to put my muumuu on. For those of you who don't know what a muumuu is, it's just basically a grandma gown. I got it the other day, and you know what? I'm feeling it. Well, I barely made it home today. My boss was like, hey, it looks like it's about to storm. Why don't you head out? Because, you know, I live pretty far away from my office. So I did head out, and oh my god, I was on the highway. I could not see shit. And when I got in the car, it told me it was going to take me 50 minutes to get home. And I was like, well, so I made it. I didn't put on my moo-moo. My moo-moo is not as fancy as yours because mine came from Walmart. It's hard to be as fancy as I. Now, I also feel you, though, because people never know how to drive in the rain. And, like... If you're in the left lane, drive like you're in the left lane. Don't be going 45. Mm -hmm. You're going to cause a wreck. I had to get off, go an inside road. And I'm like, I'm trying to listen to the Hercules soundtrack. And y'all are trying to cause a wreck here. You know, I just, I don't know. I think I saw a TikTok that had the Hercules song or something. And I was like, that soundtrack is so freaking good so i just needed to listen to it that and the mulan soundtrack really slapped for me i'll be honest i don't ever listen to movie soundtracks i'm really a like i just go from song to song whatever type of song i want you know it like whenever me and brandon drove home the other day it was four hours i went from uh what's that hairspray to old country like Randy Travis and then we listened to Aerosmith and then we listened to what's that the queen no not the queen just queen the queen but we listened to all this and then we listened to Fergalicious I just kept playing songs and uh I don't I don't really have music taste I just like certain songs uh so your Spotify rewrap is gonna be very interesting as will mine uh, because this whole week I've been listening to a lot of Olivia Rodrigo and also a lot of country music, but also a lot of Mac DeMarco. And then today I've been listening to a lot of, obviously, Hercules of Mulan. But, I mean, I can listen to whatever I want. I have Spotify Premium. That is one of the perks of making money, you know? You can just ball out with Spotify Premium at $10 I a also... I also have Spotify Premium. Now, when I first joined, it was the student, you know, Spotify Premium. And if I'm going to be honest, I don't know where the money's coming out of anymore. I'm not sure what card or how much money's coming out, but I haven't noticed and I still have Spotify Premium. So I hope they don't come back one day and be like, hey, you owe us back taxes on Spotify Premium. But if your card is no longer active, then your account will just get canceled, correct? Yes, because my okay. debit my debit card that I've you know I've had for the past five years it finally expired and that is the card that my Spotify Premium is hooked up to and I got this very scary alert on my 
a Spotify app and it was like, you need to change this or you will lose access. And I was like, oh God, it's happening. So Okay. Okay. I'm safe. Because you know, my debit card's been hacked twice in the past like four years. So I can't ever remember if I change it or not, but let's, it could be coming out of my credit card and I just don't know. Got a lot of stuff coming out of my credit card and I'll just go to my statement and I'll be like, mm, I guess I bought this. So I guess what I'm saying is, if you really want to hack me, hack my credit card, because I'll never notice. And just do everything in, like, increments of about $10, and you're going to have her in the bag. Don't get crazy, but do, like, small little increments, just a little bit off the top each month. But not too crazy in small increments, because I did catch my shit got hacked through PayPal, and the person was doing it in such small increments of so many it was like 50, like one, two, three dollar transactions. I was like, well, there's no way I did this. <laughs> like, I can't buy anything for one dollar. I called that one. But yeah, ten dollars, especially like a ten dollars on Amazon. I ha- I have no idea. So there you have it. Go ahead and hack Taylor. Um, Taylor, what is the last four digits of your social security number as well as your mom's maiden name? Your The street you grew up on and your favorite dog. Uh, 6969. That's my social security uh, and the end of my credit card. The street I grew up on was uh, Strawberry Lane. My favorite dog is a Chihuahua, but the type with like a snaggle tooth and a complex. <laughs> and your mom's maiden name? Uh, Candy. Oh, She's a little saucy. Yeah. She's a little saucy. But this is not uh, how to get away with, you know, credit card credit fraud. Card <laughs> this is this is going to sound weird, a podcast where we talk about true crime, paranormal, and everything in between. And every week we have a different theme. I am Sydney. And I am Taylor. And this week's theme is hero stories unlikely mm-hmm. hero stories yeah. stories of heroes people who have rose to become a hero rose to the occasion mm-hmm. i need a hero you know mm-hmm. like shrek i'm doing mine on shrek i don't know about you <laughs> i'm doing mine actually i'm actually doing mine on the giant gingerbread cookie at the end of shrek 2 gingy i'm doing mine on that bitch uh helga olga <laughs> or whatever her name is. We've talked about her on here before. Yeah, we have. At go the back very to our very beginning. At the very beginning, go back to our very first Weird Wednesday episode. If you want to, you know, know why that joke is funny. Is it funny? I couldn't say. So, I haven't watched Shrek in a long time. It's not funny. It's a bit humorous, but not laugh out loud funny. There's a Shrek filter on TikTok. No, not TikTok. Snapchat I saw today, so... You know, I want to see with the voice what this sounds like. Maybe I'll just post a TikTok of me talking with the Shrek filter. (laughs) Go for it. Maybe this is your time to get discovered. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Do I go first? Yes. Yes, you go first this week. Okay. One second, people. Am I drinking more seltzer? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is it spiked? Mm, that's up to you to decide. No, I think it's just a LaCroix. Yep. Now, you want to know something funny? I recently went to a brewery 
and uh, one of the girls I was with asked the bartender, like, oh, do you have any seltzers? And she did not specify that she was referring to a hard seltzer. And so he's like, yeah, 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 I think we got one more in the fridge. So she grabs the seltzer from the fridge. I don't know how much she paid for it. And she gets back there and it's just, a, it's just like a bubbly water. It's just like a LaCroix, but it's like not a LaCroix because she would have recognized it. It's one of the random obscure seltzer <laughs> waters. And she was like, what the hell is this? And we're all here drinking beers. And she was like, this is just water. Duh. Well, she should learn how to like beer. You're at a brewery. Get fancy with it. I guess she just wanted to be a, a health queen. And she really was, because it was zero calories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she really did it. She did it. Okay. So, when I was when I was thinking about what am I going to do for a hero story, I wasn't really sure, because I wasn't really sure where to start. And so then I just kind of started, you know, peter-pattering. What's that? No. Just poking around the internet. And then I came upon something that brought me back to my childhood. So I'm doing mine on a guy named Audie Murphy. Now, to most people, you're like, who is this? You've probably never heard of him. You maybe have. I knew who Audie Murphy was because it's a little backstory for me. When I was in middle school, I had a history teacher. Um, I'm not going to say too much about him, but he was an interesting character. A little little creepy. Uh, But he was like the history teacher who taught you like World War II. And it really was like, we watched a lot of movies and all this, but he always had this picture at the front of the room, and it was this guy named Audie Murphy. And he was like, he was convinced that every girl, like every middle school girl, like this was, this picture of Audie Murphy was making their panties wet. Oh, Like, yeah, like he thought, he was like, ain't he so hot and sexy? Audie Murphy's so hot and sexy. And I mean, he's cute. But it really just, uh, it stuck with me. So I was like, but I didn't remember anything about him. I don't even think we learned about him. Uh, I just think he just talked about him and what he looked like. So basically, long story. I have looked up a picture of Audie Murphy. And I'm not going to lie. He do look good. It's very much, he's got, you know, he's in uniform. He look good. It's a Mm -hmm. black and white picture. It's like when you see a picture of JFK and you're like, the man looks good. Oh, yeah. He's cute. Um, so, long story short, I'm doing my story on Audie Murphy. So, here are my sources. AllThat'sInteresting.com, 21 War Heroes and the Superhuman Stories That Put Them in the History Books by Aaron Kelly, Wikipedia, National World War II Museum.org, Audie Murphy, uh, was like the page, and then History.com, World War II Hero Audie Murphy by Evan Andrews. So, Audie Murphy was born on June 20th, 1925 in Kingston, Texas. It was a small rural town in the northeastern part of the state. He was the seventh of 12 children, and his parents were sharecroppers who were of Irish descent. So, as a child, Audie was kind of a loner. loner. Uh, He had an explosive temper, though. And his father would kind of drift in and out of the family's life. And eventually, the father left the family. So, you know, as a kid, he wasn't, like, growing up great. He was just kind of, I don't know, I guess a little bit of an outcast. But, I mean, come on, you got 12 brothers and sisters. We can't all be the star. This is true. Unless you're uh, me. Yeah. I, would, I would stand out, obviously. Oh, I, I would stand out for sure. I mean, I had, like... 
at least five or six, so that's something. I stood out in that pack. Sorry, It Katie. did help that you were <laughs> the only the girl. The only girl. <laughs> nope, I don't think that had anything to do with it. Uh, but Audie ended up dropping out of school in the fifth grade, and he got a job picking cotton for $1 a day. And in 2020 money, I didn't look up 2021 money. It had 2020, so it's probably pretty much the same. That would be $19 a day, which not a lot of money. But in fifth grade, I wasn't making no money. So. Facts. But that's what, that's pretty much like my grandma. That's what she did too. She grew up, she was growing up in like the Great Depression. And her and my grandpa pretty much had to drop out of school to go pick cotton. My so. dad did that over summer break every year. Uh, I think he, uh, this is just such a Southern thing. He would pick cotton and tobacco for uh-huh. his summer job and then that would be how he would like pay for like his fancy school clothes because he wanted levi jeans and stuff like that so the 80s he had to look good yeah so yeah my grandma did that uh and my grandpa did my grandpa you know he was very similar he had like 11 brothers and sisters so but he did not go on to uh do what audie murphy did uh so you know, he did, he dropped out of school to get a job because he needed to help support the family because, you know, the father left now. So I assume that most of the kids were having to help contribute to the house because the mom was also probably having to take care of the younger children. Uh, so as a child, Audie became, he became skilled in many different things, but he became a skilled rifleman and he would hunt small game to help feed the family. So he's helping the family out, you know. You gotta do what you gotta do. And unfortunately, in 1941, his mother died from endocarditis. I didn't look that up. Uh, and pneumonia. And he began working in a radio repair shop and at a combination general store, garage, and gas station to make money. So he had to get even more jobs because now there were no parents, and I assume the siblings were, you know, having to take after each other. And so, around this time, it was 1941, World War II had broken out, and Audie had always wanted to be a soldier. You know, he was good. He learned how to shoot at a young age. He was good at it. So, after the attack on Pearl Harbor in December of 1941, he tried to enlist. But the Army, Navy, and the Marines all had to turn him down because he was both underage and underweight. Uh, He was only 16, and he was a pretty small dude. So, they were like, sorry, man can't have you lame which i'm like do they really care like maybe the age thing but i mean didn't y'all just need people it's world war ii we need everybody we can get i know this is world war ii it's the sequel to world war one but after he was denied uh you know entrance into any form of the military He was still adamant on getting in, so his sister provided an affidavit that falsified his birth date by one year, which I'm like, he's only one year under the age anyways, but falsified it by one year, and it worked. Not really sure how. They probably didn't have as great record keeping back then. And he ended up being accepted into U.S. Army on June 30th, 1942. So, he went to basic training camp at Camp Walters, and then he was sent to Fort Meade for advanced infantry training. 
And while in training, he earned the Marksman Badge with Rifle Component Bar and Expert Badge with Bayonet Component Bar. So I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it sounds, you know, like he was doing a real good job. Yeah, he got he got he got all that stuff. He got he did that. He did it. He did. He did it. What did what did uh, he do? I have no idea. I, I'm not sure. I know a bayonet is that uh, gun that also stabs mm-hmm. you. So I do yes. know that. Yep. Uh, but in 1943, he was shipped out to Casablanca, and he served in the Mediterranean theater of the war. Um, but, and you know, he did a lot of amazing things in that theater of the war, but it was in the European theater where he really showed his heroism. So, one of his most amazing acts of heroism was on January 14th, 1945. He rejoined his platoon in Europe, uh, which had been moved to the Comar area the December before. So it was January, and his platoon had been moved that, like, December right before it. And he had to rejoin because he had been injured, and he was actually in the hospital for a while receiving treatment. And so in this area, it was known as the Comar Pocket, which was an 850 square miles in the Visages Mountains of eastern France near the German border. And this area German troops had been holding since November of 1944. So they had been holding it by the time Audie got there for like, I don't know, like three months, counting January. Uh, And so on January 24th, he moved with the 3rd Division to the town of Holzweer, where the division faced a counterattack by the Germans on January 26th. So, when this counterattack happened, Audie was wounded in both of his legs, but he was able to recover, and as the company waited for reinforcements, he ended up being made commander of Company B. And at this point, he was only 19 years old. So keep that in mind. Think about yourself when you were 19. Um, I mean... I, I worked. I had a good job. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I was I also I, a freshman in college. <laughs> yeah, I think I I worked at a uh, what's that thing called? At a boutique. I worked at a little boutique store. <laughs> I worked at an ice cream store and was just trying to pass, like, my entry level math class. It was the only math class I really had to take in college, and I was like, God, I need to pass. <laughs> so, Audie was 19 at this time. Uh, and so, while he was waiting on reinforcements, the Germans were continuing to advance, and they were able to score a direct hit on an M10 tank destroyer, and it set the tank on fire, and the crew that was inside of it was forced to abandon. And so, at this point, Audie ordered his men to retreat into the woods and kind of take up a defensive position because he knew that they were not going to stand a chance against this large German army. But he remained alone at the post, like out in the field by himself. And while standing his ground, Audie used his field telephone to call in artillery strike. So, he was trying to get the Allies, I guess, to, I assume, strike from above Maybe, you know, fly over a plane because they really need some help. Um, And he also had a gun with him. And so after emptying the gun he was holding, you know, he had to make a move. So he mounted the abandoned and burning tank and began to fire its 
.50 caliber machine gun at the Germans who were quickly advancing on the destroyer. He stood on top of this tank for an hour killing and or wounding 50 German soldiers. And while he was holding off the troops on on top of the tank, he did sustain a leg wound, but he did not stop fighting until he ran out of ammunition. And so after this, he rejoined his men and he completely ignored his own injury. He led his men back out to continue to push back the German troops. Even while they were attempting to like treat his leg on the battlefield, he insisted on staying with his men. And you know, I don't know how this went, but I picture it to where the medics are like, please, sir, can we just, he's like, no, no, you have to carry me. I have to stay with them. Run, run, bitches, run. I'm picturing him like laying on a stretcher and they're carrying him through. I doubt that's how it went, but that's how my mind pictures it. It's a I envision it com- scene. Yes, I envision it similar to like when someone gets injured during a sporting event and they just like wheel him off to the side of the field. He's like, I still want to watch him play. You know what I mean? I still uh, yeah, got to be with yeah. my team. But in the end, this act of heroism by Audie uh, helped to stall the Germans long enough so that the Allies were able to force the German troops to retreat. Which I'm like, I really don't know how this worked. Like, the tank he must have been on top of must have had the most massivest gun ever. Because, like, he told his men to go away because they weren't going to be able to defeat them. So how in the hell did he do this as a single person? I don't get it. Make it make sense. I don't know. I don't know anything about guns, tanks, or war. Well, actually, I know a decent amount about World War II. But don't we all? I'm basically a middle-aged father. Oh, same. Because my middle-aged father was uh, always watching World War II documentaries in the living room. He, My dad loves History Channel. God. Oh, or National God. Geographic. He'd just be sitting there for hours. Oh, yeah. But for this amazing act of heroism, Audie was awarded the Medal of Honor. You know, as he should be. But this was not even close to all that he was awarded during his time in service which lasted from 1942 to 1945. He was also awarded another Medal of Honor, a Distinguished Service Cross, a Silver Star with Oak Leaf Cluster, and then in parentheses on the Wikipedia, it said two awards, so I don't really know what all that means. But he got a Bronze Star with V device and a Bronze Oak Leaf Cluster, a Purple Heart with two Bronze Oak Leaf Clusters, the President Unit Citation with First Oak Leaf Cluster, Army Outstanding Civilian Service Medal, and many, many, many more. Like, there were so many on his the Wikipedia page. Like, he had two Wikipedia pages. One was just, like, information about him, and one was just, like, a list of all the awards and medals he got. So if you'd like to see those, you can go to his Wikipedia page. I was just going to name them so you could, like, get the gist. And also on the picture that you looked at, Sydney, and that I've looked at, you can tell his little his jacket is just filled. I mean, it's just dripping with all oh, it, his all his awards, all that ice, <laughs> all that ice, man. <laughs> uh, and so, by the end of the war, he was one of the most decorated United States Army combat soldiers of World War II, and he earned every American combat award for valor that was available at the time of his service. And he was so greatly celebrated for all of his accomplishments that he was even featured on the cover of Life magazine in 1945. 
Julian, a little fancy. But while what he did in World War II, you know, he was a hero, obviously, it was amazing. It didn't come without its costs because after his military service ended, he was plagued with insomnia and depression. He would sleep with a loaded pistol under his pillow, which, let's be honest, a lot of people where I'm from do that and they have not served in the war, so. Yeah. But uh, they'd, be, they'd be ready for someone to come up in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they might come steal that beer. You know what I'm saying? They might steal your bud bush light. Uh, so, Audie clearly had post-traumatic stress. Um, but they didn't really... I don't really think they called it that at the time. Uh, but he ended up taking sleeping pills to prevent his nightmares. But he began to develop a dependence on them, which, you know, obviously. But he actually recognized this dependent so he ended up locking himself alone in a hotel room for a week to break himself of this addiction and it worked so like he just has you know some what would you call it like real uh what's that gumption called? he's got yeah. real gumption that's the only way i can yeah. describe it i mean this man his willpower yes very strong he was just born different i was born he's different he's built different yeah, and uh, he suffered greatly after the war, obviously, and he had, you know, family issues. He got married and he had family issues, but he wanted to bring attention to this post-traumatic stress that veterans face, and at the time, you know, it wasn't quite so widely known. And so when the Korean and Vietnam War vets returned, he spoke out candidly and openly about his own post-traumatic stress from his time in the war, and he called upon the government to help increase studies and help for the emotional and mental impact that the war can have on people. Which I feel like at the time, that's, you know, that's something. People weren't out there, like, people were probably, you know, being like, man, he's faking, but he was like, no, this is like a real problem. Yeah, that's super progressive. And I don't think many, I don't think many people really considered that soldiers deal with PTSD until, I would say until after the Vietnam War. I think that there was a lot of like, Mm -hmm. talk about that. But then I remember specifically in history class, my, my teacher would always talk about when Saving Private Ryan came out and how Mm -hmm. realistic that was and veterans would go and it was so realistic it would trigger their Mm -hmm. ptsd uh and so it really brought new light to you know this topic and you know this issue yeah but not only was he a world war ii hero and an advocate for veterans mental health he was also an actor uh (laughs) As you would suspect, because he's so good looking. (laughs) Yes. Which I think is also why my history teacher was just like, this guy's got it all. Which he kind of does. But his acting career spanned from 1948 to 1969. He made more than 40 feature films in one TV series. And he was kind of discovered because actor and producer James Cagney saw the uh, July 16th 1945 issue of Life magazine that he was on, uh, depicting Audie as the most decorated soldier. And so he decided he wanted to bring Audie to Hollywood because obviously he was beautiful. Uh, and, you know, back in the day, it really probably was just about how you looked. I don't really know. The acting skills, you know, they, they were what they were. 
Uh, but Cagney and his brother signed Audie as a contract player for their production company and gave him acting, voice, and dance training. But they ended up never actually casting him in a movie because there were some personal disagreements and the relationship between them ended in 1947. But sometime after that, Audie was actually signed to Universal Studios. So, you know, he was doing a big time. Um, and he was acting in many films. And some of his films included To Hell and Back, The Red Badge of Courage, Night Passage, and many more. I've never watched any of those. They're old-timey. To yeah, Hell I and feel Back's. like they're all, they're all like westerns. That's what yeah, it looked like. Yeah, To Hell and Back was the one that they uh, talked about most. Like, they were like, he was in this movie. I'd never watched it. I think it may have been an adaptation of a book or something. I'm not really sure. They said he played himself, I think, in that movie. So, maybe it's like a war movie. Um, I don't know. Just turn on Turner Classic Movies. It's probably on. Uh, yeah. But, but, not only was he an actor, he also had a country music career. Okay. Uh, now, he didn't sing the music. He was a songwriter. So, he wrote music. But, you know, he obviously lived a full and wild life. Like, this man, he did everything. But, unfortunately, on May 28th, 1971, at the age of just 45, he was killed in a private plane crash near Brush Mountain, near Catawba, Virginia, because of weather conditions. I've said it many, 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 many times, and I will say it once more today. I don't care how wealthy I am. I am flying commercial. I refuse to fly on any sort of like small commercial plane, small little helicopter. We have lost too many people. Leonard Skinner. Kobe. Oh, yeah. It ain't worth it. I'm going to fly commercial. Oh, yeah. Same. I mean, honestly, I would say I'll rent out the whole plane for myself, but I really think there's something about having those extra bodies in there with me that really Something about physics. Something about the weight distribution, probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, when he died, he left behind his wife, Pamela, and their two children, and on June 7th, 1971, he was buried with military honors at Arlington National Cemetery. And even though he was clearly an amazing war hero and just brave person all around, he did everything. He was really humble and he didn't really like, you know, people to praise him too much for being a hero. He said, quote, bravery is just determination to do a job that you know has to be done. And when he returned home in 1945 after he was at war, he simply said, I just fought to stay alive like anyone else, I guess. And that is Audie Murphy, the hot hero, actor, country music singer, not singer, songwriter, my history teacher's obsession. <laughs> your your history teacher's celebrity crush. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, that wasn't how I thought I was going to go with this story, but I was like, you know what? Memorial Day just passed. It's a good, uh, it was a good one. A a good little nod. Yep. And I was curious because I was like, here's that guy. I was like, I want to know a little bit more about him. And there was a lot more than just a cute face on an old timey picture. I'm also just so interested in World War II. Like I said, I am a middle-aged father, but 
I just think there's a lot to it. It's very interesting history. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if you want to know more about the actual war part, um, on the Wikipedia page, there's obviously, like, it's got, like, everything he did. I just was focusing mainly on the very specific, like, the most interesting war thing. Because, you know, but anyways, I was more, I thought his life was interesting as well. Alrighty. Are you ready for my story? Alright. So, I'm not going to tell you what story I'm doing because it will give away the ending. So, we're just going to okay come from the beginning and we'll figure things out along the way, okay? How's that sound, mm-hmm. everyone? Sounds great. So, my sources. Wikipedia, biography.com, News 5 Cleveland, NPR, and the Huffington Post. Mm-hmm. So, on August 23rd, 2003, 21-year-old Michelle Knight left her cousin's house. Michelle was scheduled to appear in court for a child custody case involving her son, Joey, but never showed up for her hearing. Despite Michelle's disappearance, Cleveland police utilized little sources to find Michelle, with many believing that Michelle ran away voluntarily, seeing as she was an adult who had recently lost custody of her child. Now, I'm going to go ahead on record and say, if I go missing, <laughs> I have been kidnapped. Y'all okay. need to come look for me. Y'all, I don't care if I am 14 or 40. Please come find me. Lord have mercy. I've not run away. <laughs> well, I can't even, I can't even run. <laughs> Anyways, then... 17-year-old Amanda Berry disappeared on April 21st, 2003. Amanda had called her sister from work and because uh, Amanda worked at Burger King and had told her sister that she was going to get a ride home and would be home later. After Amanda initially disappeared, police believed that she could be a runaway. However, after a few days, Amanda's mother received a call from Amanda's phone from a man who said, I have Amanda, she's fine, and will be coming home in a couple of days. Which, as you could imagine, she did not come back in a few days. Uh, not that that phone call would have made me, you know, settle down if my kid is no. missing. I wouldn't be like, oh, she's, it's fine, she'll be back in a few days. No. Uh, yeah, if no. any, I'd be, whoo, Lord. I'd be freaking <sighs> out more. I'd be freaking out. At that sh- point... I'm like, somebody else is involved. She hasn't just, you know, wanted to go cool off or something for a few days. Mm-mm, no. If I, mm, if I had a kid and they went missing, oh, Lord have mercy. I'd be out in the streets just screaming. That whole town would be upside down. I'd probably be in jail. Oh, I'd be in jail. I'd, I'd be, be knocking to... on every bitch's door. I'd be like, you got my daughter? I'll come, I'll come in there and see. I would have to be sedated. I'd have to be sedated. So... The story of Amanda's disappearance spread throughout the media, with her story being covered on America's Most Wanted, The Oprah Winfrey Show, and The Montel Williams Show. And in many of these programs, Amanda's disappearance was linked to that of G- Gina DeJesus, I believe this is how you pronounce it, or De, he- um, De Jesus. I don't know. I, think that's, I didn't look that's it up. Probably, I think that's probably it. I doubt it's DeJesus. <laughs> It's pronounced, it's spelled D-E-Jesus. 
I think it's probably De Jesus. De Jesus. De Jesus. <laughs> Listen, I research, but not too much. I don't like to get too deep. Even when I look up the pronunciations, once I actually, like, I can listen to it a million times, and then once I actually have to say it, I still can't say it. Once I'm here in the trenches, I'll bust her off. Right. Yeah. So, 14-year-old Gina disappeared while on her way home from school on April 2nd, 2004. Gina had called her mom after school and asked if she could spend the night at her friend Arlene Castro's house. But after her mom had told her no, the two girls parted ways and Gina was never heard from again. Gina had accepted a ride from Ariel Castro, who was the father of her friend Arlene, thinking he would take her home, but instead, he kidnapped her. Now, despite Gina only being 14, police did not issue an Amber Alert because they believed she was a runaway. Which I'm Mm. like, shit, the police in Cleveland, they can't solve shit. Which I'm like, even if even if my kids run away, can I still not put out an Amber Alert? I want them home. They're a child. Yeah, so that is what Gina's father was really upset about. And he made a public statement in 2006 stating that Amber Alerts should work for any missing child. Whether it's an abduction or a runaway, yeah. a, child, a child needs to be found. We need to change this law. Because it could start as a runaway situation, but they could very easily be abducted because they're vulnerable and just want somewhere to go. Duh. Mm -hmm. So, the families of both Amanda and Gina were very vocal about their daughter's disappearances, and vigils were held in the girls' honors, with Ariel Castro attending at least two of these vigils and participating in multiple search parties. Which, that really reminds me of when Ted Bundy was part of, like, the call center about, you know, information on who the killer could be when he was just the killer. Yeah, well, that happened more recently. I won't say names, but that murder that happened in Raleigh of that young girl, her murderer had ended up uh visiting her own vigil as a friend i'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure now let's talk a little bit just a little bit about who ariel castro is castro immigrated from puerto rico and eventually moved to the cleveland area in the 80s in 1993 castro was charged with domestic violence against his girlfriend at the time and the court granted his girlfriend a temporary restraining order against him Castro worked as a bus driver for the Cleveland Metropolitan School District until he was fired for, quote, bad judgment. Now, Mm. let's discuss the sort of bad judgment that he made. Uh Uh-huh. This included making an illegal U-turn with children on the bus, using his bus to go grocery shopping, Leaving a child on the bus while he went for lunch. And leaving the bus unattended while he took a nap at home. Now, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, all of those things. 
most of them I have also experienced on a bus as a child. So my mom took, my mom grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina, and she said, you know, this is like the 80s when she was in high school, and she said that her bus driver literally came and picked her up one time and was drunk was drunk drove the bus into a ditch and then they were all (laughs) late for school because she had they had to sit like on the side of the road and wait for another bus to come and take them to school well i don't know if it was like that in raleigh or maybe if it was for your dad but i know like at least in more rural counties the students who had their like license back in the day would drive to buses (laughs) Yes, my dad grew up in the country, and he, <laughs> as, like, a junior and senior in high school, drove the bus because he got to get out of school early, and I think he had to come in late, and my dad hated school, and so he drove the bus. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, which I never actually rode the bus because I never rode the bus home because when I was in elementary school, I was always doing stuff after school, and then when I was in high school, my bus didn't come to my house. But I did ride the bus because my friend's mom, who used to watch me after school, was a teacher and a bus driver at school. And it was a, it was kind of a, it was an interesting school. And so she would make us sit at the front of the bus because we were only in like kindergarten and half the people on the bus were like fifth graders. And we were always like, I wish we could go back there and hang out with the kids on the bus. She was like, no, you have to sit right here and just be quiet. (laughs) So, I don't have too much bus experience um, away from a field trip situation. Yeah, my parents didn't want me to take the bus because, obviously, my mom was like, you ain't driving no, you ain't riding no bus. People That's be where kids and learn cuss words. <laughs> That's where kids learn cuss words. So, yeah, I just always, we carpooled <laughs> with people. Or, and then my, when I got to high school, I could drive. My grandma just picked me up. She was like one of those old ladies that would be there at like, you know. 30 minutes before school started. I mean, before school ended or thanks, longer. Thanks for being so prompt, Mama. Oh, you yeah. a real one. Anyways. Now, after each, uh, after kidnapping each of the young women, Castro held the girls in an upstairs bedroom of his home at 2207 Seymour Avenue in Cleveland, Ohio. The bedrooms were locked from the outside, preventing the girls from escaping. Each girl received one meal a day and were allowed to shower about once a week, but pretty inconsistently. Like, you might get it this week, you might get two this week, you might get none. And the girls were forced to use plastic toilets that were not emptied consistently, Where, which I'm thinking, if they're, like, upstairs, it's probably an attic situation, so it probably gets pretty hot up there. I just think about the plastic toilets. Oh, God. And each of the women were subject to constant sexual abuse by Castro. Mm. According to records, Michelle had been impregnated at least five times during her time in the home. And each time, Castro would beat and starve Michelle, causing her to suffer from several miscarriages. Mm. Gina while having endured many years of sexual assault, has informed law enforcement that she does not believe she was ever pregnant. Oh. 
Now, on Christmas Day 2006, Amanda gave birth to a daughter in a small inflatable pool inside the home. Michelle and Castro helped deliver it. And Amanda gave birth to a daughter who she named Jocelyn. She taught Jocelyn to read and write while in captivity. And Castro would actually occasionally take Jocelyn out of the house to visit his mother and, like, take her on, like, random errands, which I thought was interesting. And in some accounts, Castro told people that the girl was his girlfriend's child from a past relationship, while in some instances, he referred to her as, like, his daughter, and Ca- and Jocelyn would refer to Castro as dad and his mother grandmother so it's all very interesting but also Mm -hmm. like he didn't break around enough that like it it raised too many you know alarms but still pretty suspicious oh yeah Now, now on may 6 2013 castro left the house for the day and amanda realized that castro had not locked quote, the big door inside the house. So I'm assuming that, like, upstairs, maybe there was a door, or if she meant, like, the front door. Either way, she made her way downstairs to find that the storm door at the front of the house was bolted shut. But -hmm. she could see out into the street. Yeah. It was, like, one of those, like, storm doors that goes in front of your main door but she didn't try to break down the door because she was worried castro was testing her and would punish her by if she tried to escape which he had done that before like in the past he would purposely leave different doors or parts of the house unlocked to see if the girls would try to escape which of course they did And when he would catch them, he would punish them by beating them. So, she didn't try to break down the door because she didn't want to run the risk of, you know, being punished or being caught by Castro. Though, through the screen, she was able to see a neighbor named Angel Cordero, who was just across the way. And she screamed for help, but unfortunately, Angel wasn't able to understand what Amanda was saying very well because he didn't speak English fluently. But that is when fellow neighbor Charles Ramsey joined Cordoro in front of the house. Charles was just sitting on his patio on this random day, eating his McDonald's, enjoying his Big Mac, when he heard Amanda screaming. So, Amanda explained that she needed help and that she had been trapped in the house for a very long time. And at first, Charles was like, oh, maybe this is a domestic violence issue, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, he kicks in the bottom of the storm door and Amanda and her daughter climb out. And Amanda, she's freaking out. She tells Charles, you need to call 911, you need to call the police and explain to them that I am Amanda Berry and that I have been hostage. Now, this did not quite register with Charles who the hell Amanda was, because, I mean, let's be honest. Would you? In this, your your mind is running a mile a minute, 
during this, you know? So, he is like, you know, he's talking to the police uh, on the phone, saying, hey, you need to come out here. And that is when Amanda gets on the phone. She says, I'm Amanda Berry. Um, you know, she explains to the dispatchers that she has mm-hmm. been missing for the past 10 years at this point. Ooh. And, I mean, I would imagine that this would probably be, I mean, like, it's a pretty big news story at that point. Like, I think about, like, Natalie Holloway. I still think about Natalie Holloway all the time. I just feel like she, everywhere I turned when I was younger, she was on TV. So, I imagine, like, people of Cleveland knew who Amanda oh. Berry was. I knew who Amanda Berry was. I don't know if it was because my mom was really in tune with this. I think my this was, like, my mom... For some, she knew about this story, and so when this came out, I remember her telling me, and I was like, oh my gosh, which I was kind of young, but I know this story, and I think it was because my mama had been following this for years, so yeah, mm-hmm. I knew who Amanda Berry was, and you know, we live in North Carolina, so it made it around. It was a big story in my household, at least. Yeah. So, Amanda told the police that there were two more girls in the home that needed to be rescued, and upon entering the home, police found both Gina and Michelle. And the girls are, you know, they're picked up, they're taken to the hospital, because, I mean, you gotta think, these women have been beaten for years, malnourished, Mm -hmm. and they haven't really seen anybody, so their immune system needs to be checked out. And according Ooh, yeah. to sources, Michelle had to have reconstructive surgery of her face because she had endured so many beatings throughout her time oh, in the house. Because no. she was one of the first girls to be taken, so she had been there for over 10 years. Oh, God. Now, Castro was soon arrested and indicted on 320 nine charges including 177 counts of kidnapping 139 counts of rape and two counts of aggravated murder for forcing abortions and at the Mm -hmm. time of his arrest castro's home was actually in foreclosure after three years of unpaid real estate taxes so I think, and from what I understand, he never thought that he was going to get away with it. He always assumed he was going to get caught. You know, I imagine he probably thought he was going to get caught when they finally foreclosed his home, but. Yeah, because somebody was going to have to come in there and take it. Like, he was going to get kicked out. Now, during his interrogation, Castro recalled each of the three abductions in great detail and indicated that they were unplanned crimes of opportunity. Castro was sentenced to life in prison, plus a thousand years of the possibility of parole. While Gina and Amanda did not attend Castro's hearing, Michelle did. And Michelle stated to Castro, I spent 11 years of hell. Now your hell is just beginning. Which, I mean, she's pretty brave to go to the hearing because I think it would be pretty difficult to face him again, you know, after all those years. I know, which at some point I'm like, it would be difficult to face him again. But at the same time, she had been there for so many years. Like, she knew this man. It wasn't like you got to, you know... Like, I almost feel like I would be more comfortable going to a hearing for a person who has kept me for 11 years 
And like, she probably, you know, knows stuff about his life. I would be more scared of somebody who like, I, you know, I had no idea who they were and they just kind of like, you know, a short abduction. That sounds crazy maybe, but for me, I feel like somebody who I knew, I would be like, I want you to know what you've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's got very bad bitch energy. Oh, yeah. She, she roll yes. up and she's like, I'm going to wait for them to put you behind bars. Oh, yes. Now, DNA evidence has confirmed what we already fucking knew, which was Castro was, in fact, the father of Amanda's daughter. <clears throat> and Castro was found dead in his prison cell on September 3rd, 2013, after hanging himself with a bed sheet. Now, let's get to Charles Ramsey, the unsuspected hero of this entire story. Uh-huh. Now, I was intrigued by doing his story because he really, he just comes in at the end. You know, you uh-huh. don't expect him, which I feel like no. just in life, that is what happens. You just, shit happens, and you're like, oh, I gotta jump, spring into action. One day mm-hmm. you could be sitting on your porch eating a Big Mac. Yeah. And rescue three women who have been held captive for ten years. Now, Charles had no idea what was going to happen to him that day. He was sitting on his porch eating his Big Mac as he told reporters when he heard Amanda screaming. And the, the fact that he was eating the Big Mac inspired the restaurant where Charles worked at as a dishwasher to create the, quote, Ramsey Burger. And according to the plan dealer, more than a dozen Northeast Ohio restaurants have pledged an offer of a burger anytime Ramsey wants to stop by. Nice. And from what I understand, McDonald's also provided him some sort of card for him to get unlimited burgers. I don't know if it was for a year or what. I just remember I did. I I remember this because I followed this case so closely when it all went down. I uh-huh. definitely I definitely emailed McDonald's corporate and said, "Hey, I just <laughs> want to know what y'all gonna do for Charles. What y'all gonna I, give him? What y'all gonna give him? You'll give him some burgers. I can't remember what they ended up giving him. I don't think it was anything like money wise. It was more like free burgers or free food or whatever." <laughs> Um, now, Charles was offered the $25,000 reward that was offered to anyone with information on the kidnapping. However, he declined and suggested the money should go to the three women. But, you know, this really didn't sit right with the public. So, a man in Portland launched a fundraising page earlier, you know, on into the the case coming out and collected almost ten thousand dollars in donations for charles nice so that is the story of the cleveland kidnappings the story of amanda michelle and gina and the story of the unsuspected unspe- hero charles ramsey now i know we all in the mid-2000s were obsessed with the video of Charles Ramsey with the interview where he talks about how he, you know, came and he's like, what is going on? And she's screaming. And I mean, he is like, uh-huh. dead. he just keeps going dead giveaway, dead giveaway. And, 
people uh-huh. edited it and auto-tuned it into a song. It was, you know, oh, people yes. sold t-shirts with him on it. And if you ever watched the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, yes, the Netflix yes, yes. show, <laughs> the, like, first episode is, like, Kimmy Schmidt had been kidnapped by, like, a cult leader, and she comes out. And the basically, the theme song is basically like kind of poking fun at the charles ramsey where he's like just like they alive damn it it's a miracle (laughs) (laughs) that's basically what it is now i want to go watch kimmy schmidt again but yes i remember the first season of that show is really good if you ever, ever watched it oh yes yes and uh yeah that he came out i feel like during that time there were so many of those, like, YouTube videos of people, you know, saying stuff on the news, and then it gets turned oh my into God. a song. Obviously, you know, uh, went out and got me a cold pop. What is that one? I got bronchitis. Oh, Ain't nobody got I got bronchitis. Uh, I'm just, I, that's one of my favorite things to do. Like, what I'm feeling down is to watch compilations of funny people on the news, whether it be random people, <laughs> like, being interviewed, or, like, reporters losing their shit. Like, the guy who swallows the fly is hysterical. Me and Taylor The lady and the grapes. <laughs> oh, my God. The girl, yeah, the lady who's smashing the grapes and falls over. Yeah. And she's like, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> Me and Taylor used to be obsessed with this video of this poor girl. She couldn't have been more than yes. 14. And she oh, is no. being interviewed. And she all of a sudden, like, it's like, I have to pee. And then she pees her pants. And I think it's just the funniest video. We're going to have to post I'm it. I'm peeing on myself. <laughs> I peed on myself. Yeah. What? But yes. No. But the... The kidnapping story itself, it really shook me. What year did what year did they get uh saved? Do you remember? Um it was like it, I mean it was 2013. Okay, so yeah, so it was around the time where I was like just I feel like, you know, I was like maybe in ninth grade, so I was really like at that time my mom was like, "Oh yeah, we can talk about this." And she told me about that and I was like, "Oh my because my mom was like they've been in there for 10 years and she's had a baby and you know I was old enough but I was still like oh my this is the craziest thing I've ever heard of in my life because like you know you hear stories or whatever you watch Dayline, but like this was happening in real time it was happening in real time like I remember it the news broke and within like a, the course of a few hours, they had gotten him. They had arrested Castro. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I oh pictured my, the I, house. I can envision the house. Like I know what it looks like. It was. It was. Just, it was a time. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what Charles looks like. Yep. It was very the, between that that case and the Boston Marathon bombing I feel like those are two cases that I watched unfold in real time in my high school career yeah it was wild and also that story reminds me I don't know that movie uh The Room uh it's or, I think it is, no, is it it's or just, just Room, room. Whichever one's not the weird, shitty movie. The one with so, uh, the girl who has a baby in a room. 
It's Brie Larson in Room. It's yeah. really, really good. Yes. yes. It's it's exactly what I think of when I think of this case. Um, not to be confused with The Room, which is the one where he goes, <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. Yes, yes. Not that one. Not that one. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's a crazy story. That one will always stick with me. Because um, when you said Amanda Berry, I was like, I know this story. I know. Yeah. That's why I couldn't. I couldn't tell you right away. I wanted to hold back. No, yeah. Because then you know exactly yeah, you where I'm going by that. Oh yes, yes. Which some people, you know, they probably didn't know, or they wouldn't know just off the name. You know, if they're if they weren't obsessed with it in their childhood, like we were. <laughs> we were destined to make this podcast. Oh yeah. Uh. So, what was our theme for next week again? Our theme for next week is uh, Murders Out West. So, basically, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with anything that is like North Dakota, South Dakota, Arizona, Nevada, California, Mm -hmm. Washington, Oregon. Anything in that little area. Sorry, New Mexico. Sorry. You know, probably California's got so many, and so does, like, Washington and Oregon. I mean, can you compete? No. Maybe I'll find a random one in, like, North Dakota. Yeah, I urge you to find one in North Dakota. I'll try my best. I'm sure they've got to have something crazy out there that nobody's ever heard of, though, right? Yeah, like the cowboy murders or something. Something with cowboys. Oh, Corn. Corn. The the maize murders. Yeah. (laughs) Maize. Uh... Follow us on Instagram at gonna sound weird pod. We're gonna announce the winners of our koozie giveaway on the day that this episode comes out. Hopefully you've already listened to this and then we'll announce it later that day if you've listened to this in the morning. Follow us on Twitter uh, at gonna sound weird. I think it's just that. Just, nope. just gonna sound weird. It's just gonna sound weird. Follow okay. us on TikTok. I, Taylor's trying to get famous. Um, I haven't posted anything. I just haven't felt the creative juices flowing. Maybe something will come to me in the next week. I don't know. Okay. Uh, join our Facebook page. You know, share some memes in there. Uh, rate and review <laughs> us on Apple Podcast, please. That would really be good. And send us some uh, episode themes if there is a topic that you want us to cover or a story uh-huh. that you want us to you know talk about slide in the instagram dms let us know email us so that we can appease the masses yeah because we're running we're not that creative and uh it's getting harder to come up with themes but like we can come up with them but like we want something you know fun new innovative creative all those like words like that exactly exactly mm-hmm. prestige worldwide yeah worldwide but uh yep i think that's it yup i think so all right everyone have a good week stay weird and uh, yep goodbye, goodbye.